Welcome to the Liberty Block podcast. This is Alu Axelman, and I'm here with Derek Poole. Derek, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me on. I think I interviewed you once before, right? You have not. This is the first time. Th- okay. Feels familiar because I've seen you on so many shows since I've hung out with you so much. Um, so I know you've been on, I think, Free State Live and a bunch of other shows that I watch and listen to. So you're with, are you with Defend the Guard officially? Uh, I'm not like an official employee or anything like that. I'm just a volunteer uh, handling pretty much all the state organizing here in New Hampshire with Defend the Guard. Excellent. So yeah, so it seems to me like you were like one of the official guys, the biggest driver behind it, especially in New Hampshire. So can you explain for our viewers and listeners what the Defend the Guard movement is? Yeah, sure. So uh, Defend the Guard is a uh, stateside initiative to uh, go going through, you know, your state level government uh, that would prevent a state's National Guard from being deployed to overseas combat unless Congress formally declares war uh, in accordance with the United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11, which has not happened since 1942. Um, So it's been quite some time since Congress has done its job. And so this bill is supposed to uh, at least get Congress to either do its job or to wage war without the resources of the state National Guard. A few questions come up right when people hear this. The first thing they'll say is the National Guards, the state guards that all 50 states have, surely they are not currently deployed fighting not wars, battles in other countries. There's no way that there are a lot of them fighting in other countries. Um, That's mostly the regular U.S. national military, right? That is incorrect. So since 2001, 9-11, pretty much 50% of all deployed units uh, overseas are National Guard units. Uh, Some years that's more, some years it's more 60, 65%, some years it's less, 45%. But for the most part, since 9-11, it's been been half. And so the guy who who started this whole initiative, his name is Sergeant Dan McKnight. He served in the Marines, he served in the regular army, active duty, and then he also served in the, uh, the Idaho National Guard. And so Sergeant McKnight, when he was in the Idaho National Guard uh, during Katrina, he had to lead a convoy all the way down to Louisiana from Idaho uh, to go help with relief efforts uh, because the Louisiana National Guard and all the surrounding state National Guards were all deployed overseas to Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, so that kind of got him thinking, right, because the, the motto of the National Guard is uh, always ready, always there. And so not having... They were not there for the, their community. They were not there. Right. Right. They weren't there for the express purpose of the National Guard, which is to, to serve the state. Right. Because the National Guard um, is the state militia, essentially. Um, in 1933, that kind of got changed where now the National Guard has a dual state federal status. I thought um, that was more 1910, 1915 around Teddy Roosevelt. So that's when they started going down this path, but it didn't officially like the dual federal uh, state federal mandate for the National Guard didn't officially become a thing until 1933. Okay. Uh, that's where you had Title 32 and Title 10 of U.S. Code established, which those are the two types of federal activations for the National Guard. You've got Title 10. Uh, so there are three ways that a National Guard can get activated for full-time service, right? You have a state activation, state money, state mission, right? Then you have what's called Title 10, which is 
uh, federal money, federal mission. And then you've got Title 32, which is federal money, state mission, right? So Katrina would have been a perfect example of like a Title 32 deployment. The federal government, the DC is paying for it, but it's a stateside mission. Um, but then any any combat deployment overseas is a Title 10. Federal money, federal mission. Very interesting. And why would the federal government send National Guard troops, State Guard troops overseas to fight wars, not wars, battles, um, as opposed to their regular military that seems to be more full-time, maybe even better prepared, also signed up more for the active duty kind of stuff than people who are here who are doing a part-time kind of uh, volunteer with, with regular full-time jobs? Why would they send any such uh, State Guardsmen abroad? Um, there's a few reasons for that. Um, one of them would, I would say probably primarily, would be so whenever there's any kind of overseas combat mission, the Pentagon will will put out like a list of units that it needs for these types of missions. Um, and so officers, the office being an officer is essentially a political position, right? The only way you get promoted is if the guy ahead of you also gets promoted and takes you up with them. Um, so a lot of times officers, in order to get that kind of recognition, they have to do some kind of deployment, right? So they want to get the medals. They want to get it on their their um, their OERs, uh, which is your your officer records, right? This is where you um, go in and you detail like all your accolades. And I took three hundred soldiers to complete this mission or something like that, right? Um, so they'll volunteer your the state's national guard they'll raise their hand and be like hey our unit is good to go we'll go and do it um so that's that's probably one of them uh the other reason maybe to for for readiness purposes right to make sure that the national guard is ready for any kind of combat thing right keep them keep them trained or something like that um uh, but that's probably the lesser i think it's mostly primarily um uh, just uh essentially going to go win medals, uh, some, some sort of thing like that. Um, it could also be that the federal government just is trying to punish the state, maybe trying to like send, send people away. But I, I don't think that's probably a primary reason. I heard a rumor that state guardsmen are cheaper because the federal government can pay them less. That's not true. You get paid the okay. same. Okay. If you are federally activated, you get the same amount of money as if you were active duty. Okay, and and the other point that I've heard from that that would um, lead or, or um, justify the federal government spending sending those state guardsmen abroad. Another reason would be I've heard it. Every state pretty much has a specialty unit where most or all of them are a certain kind of unit, so they might need a certain kind of unit. Therefore, they would take from a certain state. Right, exactly. So like I was saying, like a lot of states, the, the Pentagon will put out a list of units that it needs. And uh, so like New Hampshire is a very artillery heavy state. So if the federal government needs artillery units for uh, deployment, then New Hampshire or Rhode Island is another artillery state or Michigan, they might raise their hand. Uh, if they need armor, Texas and Tennessee is probably one of those states. That what is Louisiana? Hand. Why were they abroad in Katrina? Uh, so a lot of those, uh, you know, Mississippi River states in that area, a lot of them are uh, engineers uh, and infantry. So, you know, a lot of that stuff was needed overseas at the time. But is it they have some specialties or a lot of specialists or I guess the question is, is the New Hampshire Guard 
when when we do secede, and let's say it comes faster than we think, it could be one, five, ten years that you know the union can collapse. If we do leave in a year, is the state guard currently? I know it's small, but is it ready to um, be ready to serve and protect us in kind of every sense, or does it have like zero units of you know paratroopers or zero medics or zero um, whatever kind of unit that they need? Do we have at least some of every kind of unit? Right. Well, just to clarify, like this thing has nothing to do with independence, but yeah. to answer your question, it, is there, the, so there is an infantry company uh, that's in Milford. Uh, so you've got, like I said, we're a very artillery heavy state, but then we also have uh, medical detachments. We've got signal, uh, we've got military police, we've got aviation, like there's a little bit of everything, um, but New Hampshire is a very artillery heavy state. Uh, Massachusetts is very infantry and special forces heavy state. Texas, very armor heavy. Um, California is a very aviation heavy state, some stuff like that. Okay. And the other big question is when there are deployments, is it all volunteer or would they take you if you're in the guard and, and force you to go abroad to deploy? Or is it kind of only those who want to go will go? Uh, so you could volunteer to go with another state. Um, and that always doesn't get approved. Oh, and they deploy New Hampshire. Will they be but, deploying willing people or will they be deploying kind of they tell you to go? Right. So uh, a unit from New Hampshire just got back from Jordan and a unit from New Hampshire is going to the Middle East um, now. So those deployments, no, no choice. You have no choice. If you are eligible to go, right, you pass all your medical exams and, you know, uh, you're not uh, getting out of the National Guard while you're overseas, right? Um, you either don't deploy at all or you have to extend your enlistment until the end of the deployment. Uh, but if you don't meet like any of those criteria, you have to go. There's no well, option. How long are these deployments generally? Uh, so it was. it's usually typically three months of what's called JRTC, which is Joint Readiness Training Center. So you go there to like prepare and, and get acclimatized to where you're going to so like if you're going to the middle east they'd probably send you to a jrtc in texas or something like that okay yeah. um heat climatization um so three months of that and then it's usually a nine month uh out of the united states so someone in the new hampshire guard might have signed up to really do you know weekends and to be a volunteer to serve a little bit and they might end up being away from their family for a year without yeah, their away, from, away wow. from their family having their career wow. on pause yeah Wow, that's pretty effed up. Yeah. Yes. I mean, when I joined the New Hampshire Army National Guard, um, I, you know, the reason why I did is because I personally really like New Hampshire a lot more than I like the rest of the country. Uh -huh. um, you know, at the time I did want to serve, you know, the rest of the country, but specifically New Hampshire, um, be there for, for my neighbors uh, during any kind of uh, emergency, like snowstorms, flooding, um, during the uh, you know the whole COVID crisis, the New Hampshire Army National Guard was activated for over a year, um, and that was something that I obviously I didn't know that it was going to be part of pandemic relief, but that's would be one of the things that I was comfortable signing up to do. Right, I was there to protect my community, and that's what I did. Yeah, and what was what was your job in the New Hampshire Army Guard? I was a uh, my MOS was thirteen Mike, which is rocket artillery. Cool. Okay. Yep. And you left, yep. you were a sergeant by the time you retired? Yep. That's correct. And yep. how long were you in the, the military for? Uh, six years. 
great. And, and you're like 25? 24, yep. Wow, so 18 to 24, that's great. Okay, awesome. So you've been working on Defend the Guard. Where is it holding right now? I know we had a bill, I think, last year in New Hampshire that did not pass. There's Was there a bill filed this session, and what's the status, and what's going on currently with all that? Yeah, so in New Hampshire, uh, it is HB 229, and that got retained in the uh, State Federal and Veterans Affairs Committee, um, which means that probably around late September, October, uh, that time frame, that's where it'll be um, heard again, essentially, by the committee. And at that point, they have to either give it an ought to pass or an expedient to legislate. Um, so, you know, it was kind of disappointing that they decided to essentially abdicate taking a vote on it, right? Um, because during the committee hearing in January of this year, you know, we had a whole bunch of people come out and testify, which typically doesn't happen for a lot of legislation. Mm -hmm. um, so when you have a whole bunch of people and mostly veterans come out in support of this bill, um, it was a powerful message. Uh, but then again, you also had the two people from the adjutant general's office uh, who are paid to be there uh who testified against this it's interesting uh, that i'm paying my federal taxes is partly paying for generals to, from the u.s military to come out here and lobby literally to oppose this bill yeah um so we had two guys from the the tags office they came out they opposed it and um you know so the committee is under a lot of pressure not only from the constituents right because if they vote against it they're going to anger the constituents but if they vote for it they're going to anger the pentagon so kind of caught between a rock and a hard place and decided not to vote on it at all but you know come this fall they're going to have to make a decision so for those outside of new hampshire for those who don't know that the sessions the legislative session is two years there's elections for everyone every two years here and in the, this is the first year we had an election obviously in 22 so this is the first year. So they, the committee doesn't have to, you know, vote to recommend killing or passing. They can retain it, meaning they're holding on to it for the next, next session. So September, I guess, the fall, winter, next session starts. They're going to have to uh, recommend passing it or killing it, essentially, or at least let it go out of the committee to the full house. So the full house will at least have one shot at voting on it to uh, pass it or kill it. Right. And you know what? It, it does. It's unfortunate that it was retained, but it actually gives us a lot more time to build up some more institutional support for this thing. Um, so like, for example, in Maine, in Montana, and in West Virginia, uh, the ACLU chapters of those states have come out and endorsed this bill. Um, you know, this bill has been endorsed by Rand Paul. It's been endorsed by Daniel Ellsberg, you know, the Vietnam whistleblower. It's been endorsed by Ron Paul. It's been endorsed by um, Wendy Rogers, you know, uh, big state senator in Arizona. Um, it's been endorsed by an American Legion post, Post 39 in Madison, Maine. Um, so, you know, it's getting all these big endorsements. And so that- It's endorsed us... by the U.S. Constitution, literally in Article 1. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, another big endorsement that we got was New Hampshire Peace Action. Um, so, and, and it's also bipartisan too, right? Um, the uh, sponsors of this bill- all veterans and it is uh leave five republicans and in, in one democrat i'm looking here yeah four republicans one democrat yeah and, and they're all five veterans they're all veterans that's correct 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is unfortunate that it was retained, but it's given us more time to kind of build up this kind of support, you know, this grassroots support that's going to push it past the finish line, right? Because if the committee's worrying about angering the Pentagon, so now we're just trying to stack more cards on our side um, to make that that vote against the constituents and all these other institutions that much scarier than the Pentagon. Yeah. So what are the biggest um, criticisms of the Defend the Guard legislation? What are people saying? What are they afraid of? Um, so the big one is that if Defend the Guard gets passed, then the feds are going to withhold uh, federal subsidies or, or remove units from a state's National Guard, right? Which, number one, is political suicide, right? If, if you're you're in the government, the federal government, and you are working towards weakening a state's National Guard as a punishment for this thing, you're, you're probably not going to retain your seat the next session. Uh, would be wildly unpopular with not just the population of that state, but probably a lot of other states are going to see that as a massive federal overreach. Uh, so that's that's the big one. And then, I mean, there's also kind of, um, you know, not just, you know, theory supporting that, but also the um, the budget committee in Kansas, when they examined this bill, right, and their fiscal note, they annotated that it would have no fiscal impact, right? So even uh, an actual state's looking at this issue is not finding that it'll have any kind of fiscal impact. Um, and then also, you know, if you look at New Hampshire, its own history, right? In 2009, the feds were threatening to withhold highway safety funds from us, about $3.7 million because we didn't have a seatbelt law. Well, guess who didn't lose a single pet penny from that highway safety fund and still doesn't have a seatbelt law? New Hampshire. So we won wow, that chicken Wow, so we fight. stood strong and called their bluff and they didn't even cut any funding for DOT? That's correct. Wow, because I know the federal government, I've been saying this for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. I've been ranting and raving about the federal government using current money that they're giving every year because every year the federal government steals tons of money for everyone via income tax. And oh, there it is, via all of the income tax. And then they only give it back to the states via DOT, the federal to the state DOTs, HHS and all that stuff, but only if they do their bidding um, or they'll offer more money if we do their bidding. Um, so I, I've been talking about that for a long time. And, that's important with, with um, DOT, Department of Transportation stuff, and seatbelts and coercion, and that's important with the, the federal uh, military stuff. And it's good that that the uh, Kansas fiscal note in that legislation said that there's doesn't seem to be any fiscal impact. That being said, the criticism side might push back and say the federal government might either legally or uh, de facto or, or um, just not really legally, but in practice cut some money for trading or cut the dual training or cut whatever benefits or just treat that state's guards a little a little worse so they, they might respond because this is kind of like a breakup they might respond in a pretty bitter way so we know that's a possibility but someone like me who's so radical and pro-independence i would say that that's more of a sign that we're so dependent on them that we you know we should not be so dependent on their money Right. And, and New Hampshire's proved that we're not going to be dependent on the money through the seatbelt law. Also, you know, the highway uh, exit numbers, right? New Hampshire refuses to change our exit numbers. And that's another thing that the feds have threatened to cut highway funds, but actually haven't yet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's plenty of evidence to show that they're not going to do that. So and then the other uh, 
there's two other things that they like to bring up uh, for their arguments against defend the guard. Um, they like bringing up a Supreme Court case, Perpich versus DOD. Um, and they say that in Perpich versus DOD, they are, the Supreme Court has already said that the National Guard, the state's National Guard can't refuse uh, any kind of activation. Well, Perpich versus DOD only applies to overseas training during peacetime, right? A governor cannot object to their guard being sent overseas for training. It does not deal with combat at all. Uh, and then the final thing that they like to bring up is that the governor under Title 10 has no authority to uh, withhold his, his National Guard from being deployed uh, federally, you know, even even if defend the guard passed, right? There's no legal standing for a guard to not consent to a federal activation. But Title Ten, Section Twelve Three Hundred One, Subsection B says that they can, right? And then Subsection F of that same section says that the governor may not withhold consent on the basis of time, type, schedule, or location of a deployment or an activation. But Defend the Guard is not asking the governor to withhold his consent on any of those bases. It's asking the governor to withhold his consent on Congress not following the supreme law of the land, which is Article 1, Section 8. And so you cited first a Supreme Court case, was it Fitchburg, that said that... It's, um, it's per pitch versus DOD is the Supreme per pitch Court versus D Okay, well, we know that the, the um, leftists, at least, and the conservatives... I'll love the Supreme Court and would never um, disobey our Supreme Court ruling or anything like that. And certainly never threaten them. Oh, wait, what's that? I'm getting that AOC and Javier Becerra and pretty much the whole White House all said, screw the Supreme Court ruling about the FDA not following their own guidance and doing a lot of other corrupt things. Screw the Supreme Court. Let's ignore them, is what um, AOC and a Republican rhino, former conservative congresswoman, Nancy Mace said, and a whole lot of others. So maybe... Congressmen don't care about the Supreme Court after all. And as far as the Constitution, they definitely don't care about the Constitution, um, as I just told you and written like numerous books about. They don't follow it. If they followed it, there would be zero gun laws. There would be essentially zero zero regulation. Um, and there would be no fighting abroad without declaration of war by Congress. And again, for those who are not familiar with the issue, Congress has not declared war. The House and Senate voting, Congress, they have not voted to declare war since World War II which was 60, 70, 80 years ago, I believe. And yet they have soldiers, men with guns, fighting in, I don't know, Derek, you know better than I do, but I think like 185 countries they have some soldiers in, and there are like 190 countries in the world. So essentially every country in the world they have soldiers in, and they're actively fighting battles in like, I don't know, 100 different countries. Uh, definitely not 100 countries there's combat going on, but I think probably maybe 20 um, a lot of the countries in the Middle East and in Africa, mostly um, some combat in places like Southeast Asia, um, stuff like that. But yeah, um, most countries in the world do have U.S. soldiers. There's some kind of military base there or military outpost. So so if people say that this legislation is radical, and again, I know something about radical legislation. I've supported House Bill 1189, CACR32, things to abolish all abolish taxes, you know, secede from the union. But this is so not radical. This bill literally just says, hey, guys, let's follow the U.S. Constitution, maybe, please, thanks. Like, it's saying let's follow the U.S. Constitution in a very simple way. Um, so it's very hard for them to paint it as radical or controversial. Yeah, pretty much 
if you talk about this bill to anybody, literally anybody, including politicians, they will love it. They will say it is the best thing since sliced bread, right? Only until after the Pentagon sends their suits to go intimidate politicians, the politicians change their minds, right? But in terms of just the general public, you talk to anybody about this bill, full support. I don't know a single person who has come out, who I've talked to, that has said, this is a bad idea. This this doesn't make any sense. This is radical or anything like that. It is only, and it's not even the politicians who think that either. It's only after the Pentagon has a word with mm-hmm. them. I think the majority of people, there might have been polls on this and we can look at the polls. I would think the majority of people, if you ask them, should there be any U.S. military troops abroad fighting any battles or kinetic missions um, without a declaration of war? I would think the majority would say no. That Congress should declare war if they are going to send troops to war or battles or something like that. Well, most people think that Congress has declared war, but obviously it hasn't since World War II. Um, you know, they think that an AUMF authorization for the use of military force is a declaration of war. But there is no... There's no enemy. There's no time. There's no. Isn't the UMF something uh, Congress location. does or the president does? Congress. So the Congress is essentially an AUMF is not a declaration of war. An AUMF is Congress yielding its its constitutional powers to the president. But I didn't know um, Congress voted on anything even similar because they're usually the congressmen are afraid to uh, have accountability by putting their name on something with yes or no vote. I didn't know they voted on either that. That's interesting. So when when was that done? How many of those were their votes on? Uh, I believe there is. So the original, the first AMF was Vietnam, um, and then there was one. Or well, that was the war. They called it the War Powers Resolution. Um, but then you had 1991, which allowed Bush Senior to go into Iraq. Um, 2001, which allowed. Uh, Bush Jr. to go into Iraq, and then the 2002 AUMF. And there's been a few other AUMFs as well for like that allowed uh, Obama to go into Syria and things like that. Uh, but those AUMFs, they don't give any kind of location, talk about like a location, talk about an enemy. Uh, it's just essentially Congress just yielding its responsibilities, giving a blank check to the president, right? And the president. He can decide to go into Iraq or Somalia, or he can decide not to. But essentially, Congress has just told him that he can if he wants to. Very interesting. And those votes, do you know how they were broken up in the House and Senate, or were they pretty unanimous? Uh, The 2001 AUMF was pretty unanimous. I'm pretty sure there were only two people who voted against it, two or three, uh, Ron Paul, maybe one or two others. And that was the most recent one? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Uh, 2002 was probably the most recent one. Okay. So I know you're working on a bunch of other things here. Apparently Zoom is going to kick us off in five minutes. I can only record a meeting for so long. Um, you're working on a bunch of other things in New Hampshire. Did you want to get into that or just stick to defend the guard here? Um, I mean, yeah, sure. So, you know, I recently was hired full time as the grassroots engagement director for the Americans for Prosperity in New Hampshire. Um, just to be clear, you know, Defend the Guard is not a project of uh, Americans for Prosperity. Uh, not yet. Anyways, maybe they'll endorse in the future. I hope so. But as of now, this is just something I do in my free time. Um, you know, I also do work with the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire. Um I help out with the New Hampshire Independence Pack from time to time. 
uh, New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, Rebuilding Age. Like I kind of have my hats in all a bunch of places, you know. All of this stuff, a, yeah. Yeah, I do a lot of volunteering with uh, Free State Project. Um, you know, doing the the phone banking that they do on Thursdays once a month. Um, so yeah, kind of just all over the place doing what I can for Liberty, much like yourself, Alu. Yeah, it's amazing. So what what is AFP New Hampshire working on right now? Um, yeah, so probably our, our big one right now is um, getting the uh, cannabis legalization bill uh, passed. It passed the the house now it's on its way to the senate which one there were two through. 639 is complicated but um there was another bill that was pretty simple decriminalization which one didn't both pass the house yeah both have passed the house and you know both of uh i believe 639 is the is the one that that we're pushing that's the uh, official one leadership is sponsored yeah yeah uh, so but that's a big that one. one yeah um, you know, we, we've been pushing with the, uh, the budget, uh, that just got passed, um, some of the occupational licensure reform. Um, and I believe there's another separate bill with universal occupational licensure, with the exception of like four licenses that. When you say universal, uh, you mean reciprocity from other states, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're from, you know, Washington state and you want to move to New Hampshire and move your carpentry business to new hampshire like you as soon as you move you could start working the next day right you pay you know a little fee or something like that and you're good to go right you don't need to go get relicensed or anything like that um so that, that's another big one that we're pushing um and then you know we do a whole bunch of events uh last night we did a uh we have this reoccurring event every month called Pints and Policy. It's every month? Uh, okay, good. Because I was upset I missed it last night. So, okay, I'll be there next month. Yeah, so we, we take a look at, you know, a whole bunch of different things. Uh, last night was talking about occupational licensure reform. Um, and then our next big event, which is April 22nd, uh, that's going to be the Pine Tree Riot Festival. Um, so it's not as big as last year. Last year was 250, so this is 251. Um, but, you know, we're still going to, have a good time, have a party, celebrate the first act of rebellion in American colonial history and, you know, taxation stuff type stuff, you know? So you'll be selling, everyone's going to where to this place to celebrate my baby, Abel? Yes, that's He's correct. for Abel Ebenezer Mudgett, the star of the Pine Tree Riot. Wow, that's incredible. So we have to be there. Is it, you know what day of the week it is? Uh, that's a Saturday. Okay. It's going to be in, in where New Hampshire at the Kalugian farm. Yep. Okay. We, we should be there. If it's a Saturday, Abel and I should be there. Abel is going to tear down the house. <laughs> Excellent. Looking great. forward to it. Awesome. So, and that's AFP officially with the Kalugians. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. It's a good event. I've gone a few times, I think. Um. Okay, good. Zoom's going to kick us off in, in a few minutes. So, where can people find out more about you and defend the guard and everything else, all the great stuff you're doing in New Hampshire? Sure. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Derek underscore Pru. I'm sure if you try searching like my name and free state native or something, some combination of that, you'll be able to find me on Twitter. Um, and then for defend the guard, uh, that's bring our troops home.us that you can do that. Uh, or you can go to defend the guard.us. Um, so those are the two places that you can find that project. 
Uh, if you want to help out with Defend the Guard, definitely recommend going to uh, defendtheguard.us. Uh, sign up to be on the uh, email mailing list. And whenever we have some sort of thing where we got to phone bank some stubborn senator or something like that, uh, we, we can notify you and you can help out in that fight. Um, and the other thing, too, is just just talk about it. Bring up Defend the Guard. Uh, tell people what's going on, what it's about. Um, if you're a veteran, I highly recommend reaching out to your local VFW or American Legion post. Uh, bring it up. Uh, talk to them about it. Maybe ask for some sort of endorsement. If you need help with that, please get in contact with me. I'm more than happy to give you material and coach you on you know what to bring up with your local American Legion or VFW post. But that's that's the best thing you can do. Um, just get the word out. Excellent. Okay, I'm gonna link to all those things in the show notes and description, and we'll all find you on Twitter. It's great that you're a proud free state. It says you're proud free state. That's awesome. And you were a native here. You grew up here, right? That's correct. Yeah, I was born and yeah, raised yeah. in New Hampshire. It's great that people, you and me, a lot of others, thousands of others, are not shying away from it. Um, it's, you just like freedom. There's nothing to be ashamed about. Excellent. So thank you so much for coming on. Let's have you back on soon. Keep up the fantastic work, and hopefully I'll see you soon. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll definitely see you soon, and thanks for having me on. All right, take care.